We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, we have the trio. We're going full best friends that ever anyone ever had. Uh, Sean Cunningham from Fox 40. Uh, Mr. Brendan Nunez from, of course, the King's Herald and the King's Pulse podcast. What's up, gentlemen? How's it going? I'm great. I'm great. I feel great. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Everything is great. Everything, Everything is great. Everything uh, is great. It's, great. A, it's a very interesting week, and it's a uh, busy one, and I realize having kind of on the books here scheduled for a day off that means something's bound to happen right it is bound to happen brendan how are you i'm great i can't be anything but great we're all great apparently we're Um, all great yeah (laughs) trying to educate myself about some girl named mary still in the work in progress there's something about her yeah (laughs) doing Uh, great is that hair gel uh is that hair gel brendan uh, yeah, he has no idea what the references are, no, which is spectacular. Yeah, it's spectacular. how are you doing, James? Off air, by the way, I, I gave him the same scenario that I did about would I go see Michael Bublé in concert because I saw his tour was going to be sweeping through the Sacramento area, pre-sale, all that stuff. And I said to myself, self, is there somebody that I would take to Michael Bublé? And the immediate answer was probably not. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'd probably get there and I'd know a couple songs. And then I'd probably think to myself, boy, did I really want to do this one? And I think he's a pretty entertaining guy. And I said, Brennan has no idea who Michael Bublé is. So I, I played that. I, I tested that theory. And I would like to say I was wrong despite – or I was right despite the fact he said, I know who he is. I said, cool, what's, what song? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he thinks no, it's I a, could it's not it's think a, of the name of a song. It's a, I knew it's the a name. drink. It's it's a it's a water right. It's a bubbly yeah, he's like, water. Oh, the bubbly commercial. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I knew uh, the name. The second I haven't met you yet came on. It was da, 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 it clicked. Da, 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 da. Yeah. All right. I'm not so surprised. I, 
I think this is going to be a reoccurring theme where Sean and I razz uh, poor Brendan about his <laughs> the fact that he is like you know still a teenager and the fact that he has never watched any movie. Clearly, his parents had a rated PG thirteen. Uh, anything below PG thirteen, Brendan was able to watch when he was growing up, and and so we're going to have it, to. It's actually funny how much my dad was such we're a movie buff. I'm saying you are a movie buff. My dad, yeah. super into movies. We watched so many movies growing up, and I guess I just maybe they were just on in the background for me. I don't really know. <laughs> I didn't pay enough it's attention. Incredible. He wouldn't yeah. be proud. Well, Sean and I love to uh, to talk movies here on the podcast. We we do that quite often. I worked at a video store for a year when I was young, um, and that's fun. Like I, you know. So Brendan just said, just "Wait, video store? Yeah, what, what does what that mean? mean? What does that mean?" <laughs> Yeah, I had. I, I too, I worked at Blockbuster. So yeah, about that's right. That? Uh, Sean and I both have the uh, "be kind, uh, please rewind," you know, like thought, like please rewind. And Brendan's like, "What does rewind mean?" Yeah, I got you there. I got you there. <laughs> I was fortunate that we did not rent VHS, James. You've got me by a little. So now I feel like Brendan because <laughs> all I knew was DVDs, <laughs> sir. So. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. I, I think I probably still have like 200 uh, like full-fledged VHS movies downstairs in the basement. Uh, the last time you watched one was? Oh, it's been a long time. But I have like the original like 1983, uh, like the giant gray box of like Strange Brew. Um, so, yeah, I've got some classics down there. Brendan Strange Brew, going. Brendan, was a movie with uh, Rick Moranis. And, <laughs> and Dave Thomas. Dave yeah. Thomas, yes. Ah, yes. Rick yeah. and Dave, of course. Write yeah. that down. That's another yeah. homework assignment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a, the Elsnore Brewing Company. It's a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, there, you know, this thing is heading towards, like, uh, the precipice. We're, we're almost to the end of the coaching search. Uh, by all accounts, we're moving very quickly. Um, it's possible that we could have a, a new head coach of the Sacramento Kings by Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I would say by Monday, pretty much for sure. Um, we're going to walk through a lot of the things that are going on. Um, but first, before we do that, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, go down below and give us a thumbs up. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Um, if you're not a subscriber to the Kings Beat, um, you're missing out. You need to be. Uh, so jump on board with the King's Beat. Um, premium subscription, $7.75, uh, $7 a month, $75 for the year. It's a great deal, and you get all kinds of incredible content. And, of course, invites to the happy hour. Uh, we also still have a um, the King's Beat promo code for the merch shop down below for 15% off the King's Beat merchandise shop. Um, you can get one of these cool sweatshirts. We haven't made the... Uh, the Sean and I as uh, NBA GM players that hasn't become available yet, but we'll think about something like that. Um, it, so it's good stuff. Uh, one of the stats needs to be movie knowledge. If I ever get on one of these, oh yeah, see <laughs> zero movie knowledge, <laughs> zero. The big goose egg for Brendan. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so let's just start this up. Uh, I think everything we're seeing right now is that, um, I mean, I just got it confirmed. It's been out there. Uh, it looks like it's a two-man race to to the end here with uh, 
Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox being on one side, the Mike Brown side, and uh, Vivek Ranadive being on Team Mark Jackson. Um, Sean, where are you at with this? Uh, like, how have you seen this thing play out, and where do you think we're headed here? Um, yeah, little two man race. Um, I, I honestly don't have too much of a um, read one way or the other. I do suspect that I could see it going this way. Like, this is kind of the way I feel most strongly in my soul and my gut that, that it's going to go. The fact that they have wanted to make sure that Vivek was a part of this and uh, make it known that Vivek was a part of this. And obviously he has strong feelings towards Mark Jackson, somebody that they've kicked the tires on several times before. So when um, he could take to a Michael Buble concert? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think Mark Jackson would be caught dead at a Michael Buble concert. Uh, but anyway. that's neither here nor there. Um, and I do think, you know, at the end of the day, um, if they're trying to paint this picture of there's a little bit of, you know, Team Jackson, Team Brown, and at the end of the day, if they would listen to their basketball people or um, that's not to say that all the people in basketball ops are just definitely for um, Mike Brown and that like Vivek is this outlier. I mean, that's certainly not the case, but uh, I think it's going to be presented as a fact that it. it that they'd go Mike Brown. And then at the end of the day that Vivek listened to his basketball people. Um, that's the way I would think it's going to go, but I would caution people and say these people who are just like, Oh my God, why is the owner involved? Why is he doing all these things? Again, not unique to Sacramento. I like to say that a lot because it, it's just true. I mean, there's so many, if you can find one owner owner that does not meddle or does not get into the discussions with hiring a head coach, I'll show you 10 that do. Um, and some worse, and yeah, it hasn't worked out in Sacramento. But if you're Vivek Ranadive, you're a little bit vindicated in some of the, your past decisions in the sense that you famously hired Michael Malone. You were talked into firing him. Um, that didn't go well. Uh, then you had this long, drawn-out coaching search, and you didn't let Vlade hire the guy he wanted because you jumped on Dave Yeager the moment he became available. So he's got a pretty decent track record with those two coaches. Um, did it re- does it result in playoffs or championships? Of course not. But if you look at all the other coaches since Rick Adelman, which are you know that's going even before uh, Vivek stepped into power and ownership, you know it's not those are if you had to pick two, those are the two you'd probably pick. So I feel he could. Uh, I feel like he he might feel a little bit vindicated based on some of his feelings and his gut feelings of people that he likes. I want Kenny Nat back. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, Kenny Nat. He Kenny had an awful, awful situation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Brendan, um, where are you at? Like, Because I think it's, again, one of the cool things about having Brendan here is is that Brendan is watching this with, like, fresh eyes. Uh, Sean and I have been through this so many times that, you know, it's kind of like old hat, and we have expectations, and we have things that we know that are going to happen, and that uh, we can see when things are moving a certain way. But Brendan, like, to have the... Uh, for lack of a better term, the virgin eyes on this coaching search. Where are you at, and and how comfortable are you with these two guys? Uh, I mean, it's just drastically different outcomes here. So it's kind of a weird scenario to me of, you know, just the reaction even that's going to take place among the fan base based on which direction they go here. I, I think that, like what Sean pointed out, of if Mark, I'm sorry, if uh, Mike Brown is the decision that, 
it is able to be painted as Vivek kind of let the basketball people make the decision and that uh, I think will bode well with the fan base. And obviously if it goes the other way towards Mark Jackson, that uh, people are not going to be very happy as we've already gotten a little bit of a taste of and, you know, can't help but think how different it would make my next couple of years covering this team uh, based on which guy was hired. So it's just crazy to me that the two finalists are so different. I would think that, you know, like they both have defensive um, foundations and they're touted as defensive coaches. So that's probably the similarity. But when it comes to like personalities um, and at least the personalities that if you want to say surrounding them in the media, um, just so drastically different. And I would have thought that finalists would kind of be more similar than this. It's an interesting point of view. Um, yeah. Plus I, I think Brennan is probably pulling for Mark Jackson at this point because, um, Sean and I have like, we've repeatedly run Mark Jackson over with a bus and Brennan's seeing an opening there where he's like, Oh, I'm going to slide in and be Mark Jackson's best friend. Oh, have I been nice to Mark Jackson on my end? I don't know about that one. <laughs> and, and conversely, I don't know that I've slammed him. Um, I just I think Sean's been the nicest. Yeah, been honest I, about like him. I, I would be. Um, again, I think he deserves a head coaching job. I just can't fathom that being in Sacramento. Um, but, but no, I mean, again, if this is, I think we talked about it last week. I mean, if this is Indiana, if this is even possibly New York, although I don't think that would necessarily happen, something where he's got a little bit more of a tie to the organization makes it a little bit more of a of a warmer water to dip a toe into. I think, um, I think that I think that goes over a little bit better. I just don't think it's the right move when you're, what, 90 minutes from the organization down the road that it didn't go well. But I think distance, uh, not both physically and over the years, have it helps his situation a lot. You know, it puts some, it puts some distance between him. I think he realizes he's made a ton of, a boatload of mistakes. And I also feel confidence in the fact that the league and he has the type of job that he has. Because I think if they were really, really, uh, up in arms with a lot of things that he's done in his past that or alleged to have done in his past that they, he wouldn't be in the position that he is on that uh, broadcast during the NBA finals and uh, big games of the week so yeah but I would I would counter with that's not exactly what happened John Gruden John Gruden was you know the big name guy forever on television and when he came back all of his misdeeds from the past came back to get him in some random weird way, which was, of course, the uh, the Washington, whatever. The, are they the commanders now? They the, are. Yeah. They were the, the football uh, team, and now they are the commanders. Yes, the commanders. So, um, you know, of course, all that stuff came back out. And, and look, I, I think that there are... Well, actually, they came to light, if you remember, James. Yeah. So they weren't yeah. known. But, but the Mark Jackson stuff has been very well documented over the past decade. And even with them coming up again... Uh, Again, I you know I'm not seeing them remove him from broadcasts. Uh, I think he's been, I think he's owned it for the most part. I might, I think I said I like, I'd probably like a little bit more attrition on his end, uh, a little bit more um, transparency and honesty, possibly. But I think every time that he's asked about it, he shows he he tries to paint the picture of how he's um, 
moved on from certain things or you know how he uh or he just flat out denies things that uh, you know especially some of the uh not in my locker room comments about a gay player uh in his in his uh, in, in with his team so um when presented the situation you know i think he just flat out denies and says what a uh what a he denies that situation and he also um says that he 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 welcomes everybody so that's what he'll say publicly. Now, again, there, there. I think we've found moments that kind of, how would you say, maybe contradict that a little bit, uh, of even things that he said publicly, like on podcasts or interviews and things of that nature. So, again, but at the end of the day, though, I don't think there's anything too damning there to remove him from broadcasts like what happened with Gruden once things came to light and ended up being, being true, and he just completely removed himself from the situation. Yeah, Brendan... Um... How is how has this been for you? Uh, like trying to weed through the information, um, trying to like take in the information that other people have given you, uh, trying to you know paint a picture or or create your own idea about what's happening, but in the same stroke, like getting all of these these different stories from the outside, stories that you're starting to hear from different sources your your source building during this time like how has that gone it's been interesting um you know there's definitely aspects of trying to remember who you're hearing what from and maybe their sort of not motivation but their perspective and reason for saying what they are and trying to kind of weed through all of that um but it's been i mean it's been a process um it's enjoyable i can say at very least like it's you know i think something that if i told myself was happening a year ago i I would think is pretty damn cool um but yeah i mean it's it's interesting to piece a lot of these things together um a lot of a lot of mark jackson stories that are just crazy and out there in in ways that i can't understand why he's on the ESPN broadcast, to be honest. Um, it's been, it's been a process and it is a little weird. Um, you know, only seemingly hearing one side, like I, I would like to hear a little bit more from Jackson, especially if he was hired on some of these scenarios and stories. And, and if he just to kind of just deny things, you know, there's no way to go further than that. Um, I guess like my question to you guys, what sort of questions do you think need to be asked to Jackson if he does get hired? Yeah, I think that's the most like difficult thing. Um, You know what? Like I had written this down as probably the business of basketball question. Um, We could even do it right now. The business of basketball. (laughs) See, I told you. I I knew it would come up. I think it's a, it's the right question, right? Um, we have, we have two candidates. Um, we're just going to say at this point, it does sound like there's two candidates. Everything I'm hearing is that there's, there's only two candidates. Um, I will also say this, like without any question, Mike Brown wants a job. Mark Jackson wants a job. Both guys want the job. Um, I, I'm like, that's something that has over the last couple of days, like I've been able to confirm. Um, so, so that's a good thing that like, cause that was always my concern with Mike Brown that maybe he wouldn't want the job. But, uh, like, let's get to this, the business of basketball. Um, Sean, I'll, I'll just put the, the question to it you this way, and then we'll have Brendan a- answer it, and then I'll jump back in. But if 
if we have a press conference on Saturday or if we have a press conference on Monday or Tuesday and it's Monty McNair and it's Mark Jackson sitting up there, what is your first question and what is the thing that you would want to know the most? I mean, I would just want to know how he's grown from his from his previous coaching situation. Not having coached before, I would want to know, you know, what does he take the good and the bad from that previous previous experience and apply it here? What would he do differently? Um, I, I know he doesn't consider himself a perfect man, so uh, I, I would imagine there's a laundry list. And, and here's the other thing, guys. I don't think that it's fair. <laughs> It'll happen, but I don't think it's fair to Mark Jackson and I'm pay- and hopefully you can see where I'm going with this opening press conference. Okay, there's so much pomp and circumstance that it's really hard to dive into the the nuances of some of these things, especially when you're someone like Mark who has a lot of smoke around him, as as uh, we talked about before. So it's hard to address so many of them individually at that opening press conference moment, especially given the circumstances of. Let's pass a microphone around and, you know, we can hammer him. And, I, and look, he's going to um, have to address it. The question's going to come up, you know. But at the same time, and look, he's the guy's prepared and he's addressed this stuff before. But what I'd like to see is more of a, uh, if if he turns to be uh, turns out to be the guy, these are, these are things that are going to, it's going to be a process in the journalistic process. Uh, uh, side as well where you're going to learn more as you peel back these layers and and ask questions and being able to interact with him on a daily basis that's where some of these things will will kind of come to light a little bit and and again it's necessary it's a necessary evil for that first press conference and I would just look back to the Chauncey Billups one in Portland I mean he had some things that he had to address Jason Kidd as well in Dallas I actually think the Jason Kidd thing didn't even come up in the in the opening um press conference but he he was able to address certain things later on the Chauncey Billups one did um and it was definitely a focal point uh when he took over um so you know if anybody's in, uh, is unfamiliar with the Chauncey Brown and or Chauncey Billups and the uh, Jason Kidd situations please go uh google as your friend so um you can go look at that and see how they were handled and I, I look the more you end up interacting with somebody it, you will learn more and more about these layers and these stories and uh, whether there's truth and how he's able to explain himself and, and define certain moments in his past. So that's what I look forward to. I don't know that I'll learn much from the opening press conference, however. Yeah, um, makes sense. It's interesting to me because part of my concern with Jackson or something that would bother me is I feel like so much of this season would become Mark Jackson's redemption season and I feel like so much of the year would be about him less than like the Fox and Sabonis pairing or like so much more focus on the coach rather than the players. And and maybe like, you know, even if it's Mike Brown, it's going to be focused on how Mike Brown returns to coaching. Like I get that. Um, And part of me is curious, like how much influence we have in what the focus is this season. Um, But like, I do think there is things that like, kind of do need to be asked to Jackson the one for me and I, I still don't know the proper wording for this like if Jackson is the one that gets hired it's going to be uh, 24 hours of me theorizing the right ways to word questions um, but I, I would personally want like and, and I think a lot of the fan base would like the homophobic aspect kind of talked about a little bit um, because I, I think that there's a or the alleged homophobic aspect that's kind of surrounded Mark Jackson a little bit um, because I, you know, there's a part of the fan base that 
um, can heavily relate to that or, or falls under um, LGBTQ or, or anything like that or has family or friends that relate to that. And I, I just think it would be important to have that acknowledged and um, just have him speak on that a little bit. I, I genuinely right now do not know the proper wording or even if that's something that can be asked in a way where there is a decent answer and it's acknowledged. Um, but I think that's something that I would personally like to see talked about. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, Brennan, because what you you almost want Vivek to be up there because it's Vivek and his organization that has pushed so far one way that they have made their their social you know stance on so many different you know topics, but specifically uh, LGBTQ and all that stuff. So I would like to see what that answer is. I would like to see if Mark is going to, um, you know, it's okay to say I, I am religious and in my religious beliefs, this is what we believe. Um, I don't think that that's going to go over very well. Um, but also I, I think that there is this whole situation with the Kings where if you want to preach this as part of your, your, your all inclusiveness, um, then you should probably actually live by that when you're hiring people like a head coach. And uh, so I think it is a question that probably does need to be asked and answered um, by Mark, but also by Vivek, uh, if that is a choice, because it's possible that he's got that answer behind the scenes, that he's asked that question himself, and that he's got a satisfactory answer, and he can tell us why he felt comfortable. Um, but if he's not there, sitting there, um, I think that my question wouldn't necessarily, my first question might not be for Mark Jackson. It would probably be for Monty McNair. And that is, you know, did you, did you lose? Did you, you know, there's, there's, we've got, uh, you, you know, take that L with you. <laughs> yeah. We got this, uh, team Jacob and team Edward here. And like, we got a vampire and we got a, a werewolf. Did, did you choose the wrong, I, I mean, did you lose in the, in the battle to who would be the next head coach? And where are you at with, with taking that loss? And like, here you are in season two going into season three and you still haven't got to hire your own coach. And we know that. And I mean, I think that's, that's a big problem. It's that we know that his choice is one thing. And now it's like, well, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we move forward with that, Sean? Well, I also think you bring up something interesting, which is even aside from the social aspect of uh, if you can kind of put that aside for the moment, not that you should, but let's move. Let's just pretend that doesn't exist, right? The history of Mark Jackson and the Sacramento Kings is an interesting one. Sorry, uh, clear my throat real quick. Um, you've been down this road with him before. He famously came to a game before at the old arena. Uh, you brought him in kind of in this covert style to, to meet with him uh, regarding a head coaching position. Uh, and then, as I was reminded by our old pal DeMarcus Cousins late, uh, earlier this week, uh, where, you know, he it was his preference and he made the organization know that he thinks that he thought that Mark Jackson would be the guy to be what Dave Yeager became before they hired Dave Yeager. Um he and some of the players were pushing for Mark Jackson at that time. 
and they ended up going with Dave Yeager. Now, to that point, I would like to see, um, I would personally like to see Vivek Ranadive answer those questions because say what you will, regardless of whether or not it's true that that Mark Jackson t- is the apple of Mark of uh, Vivek Ranadive's eye at this moment. Um, he's got experience with him with this and within the organization. Like this has been a courtship, if you will. He's been considered in the past uh, during his own ownership of the team, and it wasn't that long ago when he took over the team. And every press conference that we had. Vivek was up there, even with a new coach with Michael Malone, even with a new general manager with Pete D'Alessandro, or even with a new big, enormous uh, name to your small ownership uh, position uh, into your organization with Shaquille O'Neal. So um, Vivek used to put himself out there quite a bit, and he's gone kind of zero you know you don't really hear from him very much and some people would think that's a good thing but i feel owners should be um representative of their teams when when called upon especially when they're as active and in the involvement of their organizations as he is yeah i would totally agree i i find it interesting like i remember when dave yeager was getting hired i remember the coaching candidate list i remember vlade interviewing one after another after another after another I never once remember hearing Mark Jackson's name. And so, yeah, I get it. It was covert, but like they were pretty far down the road with guys like Nate McMillan and, you know, Patrick Ewing was involved in that search. There was a bunch of names involved in that. I don't remember Mark Jackson at all. And I, I mean, if it was covert, um, you know. Well, to the point, the covert one was bringing him to the game. That was before, that was, you know, that was during the, um, that was before the Dave Yeager hire. And yeah. then that was when they were still in the old building. Then you get to the new building. And before we get to the new building, you're, you're hiring Dave Yeager. It was the preference, <clears throat> excuse me, it was the preference of some players to consider him. That's not to say that they interviewed him, but it was, uh, there was a, at that point, you had players pushing for Mark Jackson. And ultimately the, the organization decided that that's not the, that's not the uh, direction that they wanted to go. So Vivek was, was definitely part of those conversations, both meeting with Mark Jackson in the old building at a separate time before during a game. And then uh, a second time when Dave Yeager's being hired and you've got figureheads of your team pushing to have him to be part of it. So obviously they didn't go in that direction with Mark Jackson, but here you are again and he's a finalist and um, somebody that somebody that Vivek Ranadive definitely has a familiarity with. Yeah, Brendan, where would you be with, I mean, where does Monty even go with that discussion? Like, how how do you, I, I, again, I, I don't know how I would approach it, like, outside of saying, well, this is an organizational decision, but, like, we know that as far as, like, what I've been hearing and as far as what's been reported out there and as far as what you've been hearing, very specifically that Monty has a choice here that he has a candidate that he likes in Mike Brown and that Vivek has one. And if, again, if uh, Mark Jackson is a guy, where where do you go if you're Monty McNair? Um, I mean, what choices does he really have in that conversation? You know, like, I feel like I could, I feel like we could all make a decent guess on what sort of answer we would get from, Money, like you said, like it's an organizational decision. Like, I was a part of this process, and this is the way that 
we think is the best for us moving forward. Like, I think there's only so much that we can, I would imagine, that we would get from Monty in a presser like this. I, I would love for Vivek to be up there, um, especially with all the reporting that if, if Mark Jackson is the hire, especially with all the reporting that um, that is kind of Vivek's preference. Um, when's the last time you guys got to talk to Vivek? I think you mentioned when there was the Jerry Reynolds media thing, but that was like fully focused around it's Jerry. Like a year right? and a half ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I spoke to him this year. Uh, on camera uh, for some of the stuff that they've done in different, you know, aspects of community and technology and things like that. Um, I, I look, I think the guy's a brilliant guy. I really do. Um, is he brilliant for the game of basketball? No, probably not. But uh, is he a fan like, you know, anybody who watches basketball? Absolutely. So um, I don't think um, that. I, I don't think that he's all that bad when he's in front of the mic or the or the camera. I think sometimes he he tends to ratchet it up a little bit and try to become this person that he isn't to try and to present something that um, as a presentation as opposed as opposed to just having a conversation. I would like I, I kind of like that more. I remember we sat down with him uh, before the team went to India. I know that was a few years ago, and I thought he came off great at that point. I talked to him about his signature moment. To me, if there's a signature moment that he can hang his hat on. Uh, as a as a member of this uh, ownership group, and that's when he went out center court uh, during that game against the Hawks that was locked down because there's protests going on outside. And he says, "Hey, we stand with you. We hear you." And he was so eloquent, you know. He 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 was so eloquent as the way that came off. I thought that was an absolutely proud moment uh, for him in the or in, in as part of ownership. Um, so I think he's capable of it. I really do. Look, we're not trying to talk X's and O's with him. We're just trying to talk big picture. Um, things and look there are some cringeworthy moments i have them myself every single day we all do that's okay you don't have to be this polished you know whatever i think people appreciate authenticity so um i, I think it's something that we we definitely should have especially if the hire is mike malone or excuse me oh my gosh michael malone especially if the hire is mark jackson uh because of the fact that he has been so involved in the past and we've seen him when he's sitting up there with the likes of michael malone when he hired him as his first coach so it's something i would definitely like to talk to and hear from and i think the fans deserve it especially given where the organization is you know a lot of owners do talk after the end of seasons and kind of give their State Big of the Union. picture, State of the Union. Yeah, yeah. you kind of have yeah. to feel that. And I remember when they famously fired Michael Malone that we spoke with Vivek right after. Now, you could <laughs> – that interview did not age well. However, um, I think that those are that, that is a necessary thing when that happens. And, Brendan, to your point about when you were having to answer that question from James about Monty McNair – Look, you can have the guy you like, and you know at the end of the day, you can get wowed in the interview process. You, you you can find things that you didn't know about somebody. And again, if the consensus is, even if you're not the guy in the room and you've got so many other people that decide that this is the guy, I mean, it's kind of like when you're picking a draft pick or you're you're going after a trade or a free agent. You can you can acquiesce a little bit, but I also feel, I also feel that in the, you know Monty McNair realizes that. Hey, I'm probably heading into the last year of my contract. So uh, Vivek Ranadive is going to be around this organization a lot longer than I will. It doesn't make it right, but you know, you you famously sign a three-year deal. There may be an option on the fourth year. I don't have total clarity on that. But regardless, like you you are what you are at this point. So um, 
you have to worry about your own future. And if the owner's saying, hey, let's do this, and you've given your ideas and, and everything, your pushback as to why you like Mike Brown, at the end of the day, all you did your job. And if they want to go with Mark Jackson, then you're going to support it 100%. Yeah, I, I'm going to say, like, that's where we have to take this conversation, right? Um, Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox, they are, like, from everything we know, they're entering the final year of their deal. There's potential for them to, uh, you know, figure out things long-term. But, like, why are we here again? We're at the same spot again. And, like, I wrote about it today, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm always, I always feel like I'm being really harsh on Vivek. But it's that, you know, I like to, like, I always teach my boys, like, number one, you don't have to make a mistake. You can learn from watching someone else make a mistake. So let's let's work on that. If you see a buddy who's about to make a mistake, you can say, hey, that's a mistake. Don't do that. You can also, after the fact, watch that somebody's done something and go, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to learn from that mistake. But here we are like nine years in, and it's the same damn story again and again. You hire Michael Malone. A couple of weeks later, you hire Pete D'Alessandro. Pete D'Alessandro doesn't like Michael Malone. He forces... He pushes Michael Malone out. Uh, Pete D'Alessandro is getting pushed out. But before you let him get pushed out, you let him sign George Carl to a contract. And now you're stuck with George Carl. And now Vlade Divac is stuck with George Carl. Then you get to the the Dave Yeager situation where, again, he holds this exhaustive and process-driven search for a head coach. He comes up with all these candidates. We get all the way to the end. We're almost to the point where he's about to, you know, like offer somebody a job and Dave Yeager becomes available one night and two days later, he's the new head coach of the Kings and he signed to a long-term contract. You get to the situation where we, for one season, had synergy between the front office and the coaching staff where you allowed Vlade to hire Luke Walton. Things go wrong in the bubble. You fire Vlade Divac and now here we are back in the same situation. So... We're about to do the same thing again if it is Mark Jackson. And so if Monty isn't on board, that makes things really difficult. Are you going to hire a coach and give him a four-year deal with your GM with a one-year deal? And the next GM is going to have to inherit a coach with three years left on his contract, whether he likes it or not, if that's the way this thing goes. And so, I mean, I really, I would like to give like Vivek the benefit of the doubt, but these are his decisions that keep putting himself in the same exact situation. Like we have to, at some point you have to learn from your mistakes. You know, if, if you're someone who speeds everywhere and you got eight speeding tickets, you didn't learn from your mistake. The next one, you know, like you're just going to keep doing it. Like, right. So we've got to a point where we can't expect him to do something other than what he's done in the past because he keeps doing it. It's not like there is some like, there's an out clause here where you're like, well, maybe he's learned. Well, clearly we've gotten to this point that we're too deep into it. We're nine years in and this team has got a, like a 390 win percentage under him. He's got nine straight playoff, uh, a nine year playoff drought. Um, you know, the Maloofs had a seven year playoff drought. And if you can't do something better than the Maloof brothers who are out of money and were running the lowest payroll in the NBA, that's, that's a problem. But then on the other side of it, there's this whole other thing. And 
I know Sean can appreciate this a little bit more than Brendan because Sean worked at Arco Arena for a decade. Uh, I worked there for a long time, like covering the team at Arco Arena. But what he's done in downtown Sacramento, like Brendan, you're getting to like work in one of the best buildings in in the entire NBA. And the whole entire area around it is this beautiful giant hotel and restaurants and this whole outdoor open space and a stupid looking gummy bear looking thing that's stuck in the ground. But the whole thing is beautiful. And like, so there's so much that he has done that you almost can't give him credit for because the team keeps losing. And so there's this awkward dynamic and I, I don't know how else to say it. Like, how well, do we... Like, I'd say this, James, like while change is the constant, right? And 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 he goes he reverts back to what he knows. Some could also look at that as holding people accountable. Some will look at it as not giving people enough enough space to operate and try to actually make a difference and change things. But I also feel in doing so, no matter which way you feel, you have to understand what you're doing to the fan base. Like here we are in another another coaching search and we have to do our job. But I will even admit that I'm a little I mean, apathy has set in like apathy is all over this organization's fan base. And if you're a fan, I, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who are just like, I don't care. I just hope they make the right, the right hire at this point. They just, you know, there, there's still a lot of people that will say one way or the other, they'll be all in. They'll be, you know, with two feet excited to see who, who it is. Cause they're desperate for anything, but there's a huge part of the fan base that just goes, wake me up when you win 45 games. I don't care how it gets there. I don't care who does it. They're just apathetic, and, and they'll start paying attention when some of that upswing happens. And so going through another head coach, I think if you were to poll the fan base, you'd get a lot of them that just really don't give a damn. Interesting. Brendan, is is Vivek redeemable? Totally. Totally. I, I think that... You know, he doesn't have really standout flaws as a person or, or anything like that. Like, we've seen nothing but, but good things there. Like, um, standing up for the right communities um, and, like you said, everything that he's done for the city of Sacramento. Like, the building in Doko is absolutely gorgeous. Like, every time I'm there, I'm still, it just is a gorgeous building. Um, when those windows are open, it's one of the coolest things to look at um absolutely redeemable and i think it the narrative could change really fast like if if they get this higher right um either candidate and it works and the team starts winning games i, I know it is not quite as simple as just winning here winning here yeah, but it maybe not fully but it's pretty close to it um you know i don't, I don't think that vivek has other standout flaws um, that make him unredeemable. I'll say this too. I kind of feel like 16 straight seasons, and again, they're not all in him, but 16 straight seasons with without a playoff berth in the NBA, I feel like the DiMaggio hit streak of 56 straight games will break before another NBA team with the amount of absurdity that it is that that half of over half of the teams get into the playoffs. I think the DiMaggio hit streak of 56 straight games will end and be broken by somebody before another NBA team does that. I, I, I agree. That like, is super it, hard. <laughs> yeah. You put yourself, I mean, it's not like there haven't been other franchises that have gone through this. I mean, the Timberwolves had 
like they had the record of 15, but you know, the Warriors before Mark Jackson was like 17 out of 18 years, right? That they'd missed the playoffs. Like there have been futility, but the crazy thing at this point, like if you count the play in, which we don't count the play in, but if you count the play in, like every streak that was nearing five years ended this year. So like Charlotte and a couple other teams, we got down to like, there's only like a handful of teams that have like two year streaks. All of those ended like the golden state warriors hadn't been to the playoffs in two years. Oh no, that streak's over now. Um, but like most of the other playoff streaks ended and like the Kings are sitting here looking around, like it, it's not, there's not even someone with like a seven year losing uh playoff drought. There's not, there's not someone with a six year playoff drought. It's the Kings like on one of those, uh, those cool graphics that, I don't know who it is that makes those. Uh, you like know, an the King- infographic? Yeah, the Kings are the little like face way out in the middle, like <laughs> way out by themselves or way out down here by themselves. Like, like Pluto? Yeah. 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 <laughs> in the solar system? It's there, they're we're Pluto. Techni- yeah, we're technically a team. For a while, we're we. not. And then we... Yeah, sorry. 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 Kings were technically a team, and then yeah. it's decided that they're not. Maybe they are. Yeah. And the amount of teams that... The Kings saw rebuild during the time that they've been trying to get back to relevance, like Cleveland or um, the Pelicans or the Grizzlies, the Suns. It's it's tough. Isn't that it, the most jarring thing? And Sean, is he redeemable? Of course, hundred percent. You just have to, you know, winning cures all. Of course, I mean the guy saved your team. We wouldn't be having this conversation if not for Vivek Ranadive, right? I mean, that's just, that is what it is. I know that honeymoon has since sailed. Oh, yeah. It's, it, yeah. The, the marriage is on the, the rocks a bit here. But, <laughs> yeah. But, you, you know, you don't have the, uh, not to use like the, the battered syndrome, but you don't have the uh, the relationship that you that you once had. But, yeah, winning cures all. And again, I just think I, it's, it's, it's apathy that's set in right now. You know, and this is the part, and again, you're nearing a. You're, I always brace myself. We mentioned it. I mentioned uh, Brian Shaw's name in the last podcast, and wildly enough, I talked to Brian Shaw just the other day uh, at this event I was at with, <laughs> with uh, Demarcus Cousins. Had no idea who's going to be there, and um, got to interview him. And I should share that. I still haven't done that on Twitter, but I should because I asked him on camera about Mark Jackson, and then spoke off camera about some of the things that I had known about him possibly coming over to, to be part of Luke Walton's staff. And, um, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, I've talked to people that are, they all think that Mark Jackson should be uh, a head coach again. You know, there are certainly people out there that, that, that don't, I just don't think the people that don't like to come to the public as much. Um, but as the ones that will, who will show the support. Um, but it was interesting because I was thinking of Brian Shaw in relation to, someone like Mark Jackson or Mike Brown. So if you're looking at these two guys and they have to build out their bench and what that looks like, like this is part of those, those, un- those conversations that will be being, that is going to be had. And, and we talked about, you know, as Mike Brown is here, Steve Clifford very well could be his, his lead, his lead assistant, possibly, possibly not. Maybe Steve Clifford goes elsewhere. Bottom line is they're going to fill out their staff the way they want. And I think there's going to be an expectation with both of these guys that they fill out their staff the way they see fit. 
and there's money that's attached to that and there's some names that they'd want to bring in that you need to pay for well luke walton had a range of compensation that was likely going to be less than what these two gentlemen are going to be looking for with their bench so um again that was under a different microscope than before and if you're going to do it the right way and these are your two finalists with all due respect to luke walton he had just been fired from the lakers so the parameters were set a little bit different as opposed to these two guys who have a very who have very comfortable gigs and you're going to be bringing them in they're going to want who they have as much like luke did and yeah the organization can say no and probably will say no to to certain things and but I, I feel like if you're bringing either one of these guys, you have to open up the checkbook for, for both of them. Yeah, I think that that's, that's huge, that they need a top-tier coaching staff. And that doesn't mean that you can't keep some of the guys that are here. Right. Um, but you do need a top-tier coaching staff, and you need to like open the purse strings and allow that to happen. Um, I guess I'll, I'll ask sort of, I think this would be the follow-up. If it is Mark Jackson and Vivek, we know that it's Vivek's choice, Vivek's choice, and this thing spins out like it has every potential to do. I mean, this thing could go, it could work out, but if it doesn't, it it goes the way that, you know, a lot of people could predict that it would go with Mark Jackson, and you know, you're you're looking at like two or three years from now, and this thing is is gummed up and messed up and. Sabonis is no longer here because he decided he didn't want to sign a contract and De'Aaron Fox is asked out and you you get to like the doomsday potential, right? Is Vivek redeemable? Because at that point, I don't think he is. If you're looking at 10 or 12 or years in and this thing is starting all the way back at the beginning. I mean, I, I, I would still say winning cures all. I mean, again, I don't think as long as he's your owner, um, this hypothesis you have, it, I, I don't know that winning cures all, man, because I ain't ever seen winning. It, right, you haven't <laughs> seen it, but I have, and I have. We haven't seen it in the Vivek Ranadive era, and that's true. But again, like, it, I, I think we in the media sometimes tend to, even fans, they tend to, like you just said, James, a doomsday scenario. Well, let's rewind. Oh, if this doesn't work with Luke Walton, is it? How do they go from there? Let's rewind. If this doesn't work with George Carl, if this or Dave Yeager, like it's it's just the the latest and the next thing. Like if we're here, here we are saying if this doesn't work, let's say it's Mark Jackson. If this doesn't work with Mark Jackson, it's doomsday scenario. No, if it doesn't work with Mark Jackson, three years from now they're on to another coach and they have to do it again. And yeah, you may lose some people like Demonis Sabonis, and that's why you have a salary cap. That's why you have draft. You still have to have people in place to go and get these to find the talent. It's up to the coach to coach the talent. And yeah, you could have this revolving door where Mark Jackson's here. Okay. Monty McNair's fired next year, or he's not renewed in his contract, or however that will work out. Now you've got to go find a new GM that didn't hire Mark Jackson. So you could have this thing happen again. But, James, we already know what that feels like. I just don't feel like um, you're going to get to this point where it's like it's doomsday, it's all, all hope is lost. Like, no, you're going to prolong the awful look of having nobody in the stands you're gonna not gonna lowest, have wins, right? Lowest attendance in the NBA, right? Already, and and again, I want to make sure I say this because this is the the the, the doomsday picture that that you were you were painting. If if that is to happen, if it doesn't go right, right? Like if if he doesn't win and it it's, and it continues this crazy cycle. If that happens, yes, it, it's this awful look to it. But when it does, right? Like the moment it does. 
you try, you tend to build that back and hopefully you can sustain that success. And to me, that's all that anyone cares about. You know, once you start getting, let's say, three straight years of winning basketball where you're in the playoffs, they'll go, oh, my God, remember when you had 20 years of dreck and you didn't make the playoffs and they chased me off? Yeah, you, the likelihood, James, that you, you may not get any of those people back. And that's that's unfortunate. But like life, not to quote Jurassic Park, life finds a way. <laughs> it evolves, okay? So you've got new people. Ian Malcolm. The, he goes Ian Malcolm on us. What did we just do, James? We've talked about <laughs> how you haven't seen success in this building. I have. So now I feel like, even though you're older than me, you know what it was like to be a Kings fan back in those days when they were winning, yep. right? Brendan is brand new to the scene. hasn't covered a winner, all that stuff, right? Think of the Brendan Nunez in 2028 when the Kings are good again, right? Look, as long as that happens, like I don't see an apocalypto where all of a sudden it's this barren wasteland for like forever. And again, it's not like losing basketball is going to force Vivek Ranadive to sell his team or to do any like like that that just doesn't happen look i mean look at how long the clippers sucked and and yeah Yeah. kings have sucked longer we get it but james dolan is still the owner of the knicks and i'd much rather have a vecron adive than that clown so there's a lot of oh yeah things you have to factor in and i again i just i just don't think it's this black or white i think there's so many shades of gray and you have to have proper context as you look at this thing you know I feel look he'll feel the heat in the pocketbook, but the one thing I've credited him for the most part, there are certainly things you can point to and say, "Nope, you're frugal here. You didn't maybe this here." But again, I feel like this organization spends money, and he doesn't get enough credit for it. Yeah, I think doomsday scenario um, and getting out of that it just takes like I'm kind of stuck on draft picks. It takes one just change, one hit, one superstar to kind of just change everything. Like, look at uh, Luka Doncic or uh, Zion Williamson or uh, Trey Young or what you saw happen with Cleveland. Like, I think that really if if we're talking about this doomsday scenario, Fox Sabonis are gone, it just takes hitting on one draft pick. Like, not that to downplay the importance of marginal moves and surrounding those guys with the right pieces, um, but, like, you land a, a John Morant or, for example, like, what we saw with Golden State, like you, however much credit you do or don't want to give to Mark Jackson, a big part of their turnaround is drafting, that they drafted the right guys, um, specifically Steph Curry and obviously Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Like, um, So doomsday scenario, I still think there's absolutely a way out. Like you get one home run draft pick, which maybe I'm crazy for holding out hope that at some point that one of them will be a home run. Um, but if you do, I think it instantly changes it. Yeah, I just think that there's like 15, 15 drafts of which I think, like we can say the Kings probably hit on maybe three or four right. uh, that that show you that like it, it's got to be more than that. You have to have the right people. You have to have people that, I mean, look, if there's one thing that Monty McNair has done, he's at least hit like pretty good solid base hits with his draft picks where you can see that the rotational players so I think that that's where you're like, okay, look, I think we can see where Monty has sort of his pluses and his minuses. He's very methodical. He, he, you know, clear. But again, I think that if we see this thing with Mark Jackson go the wrong way, I'm not sure that I'm so rosy about 
the being able to draw people back because you're losing generations of fans. I mean, my 19 year old, uh, like he'll, he'll be 19 this weekend. Um, he was born the day that Chris Weber blew out his knee, right? <laughs> May 8, 2000, 2000. So he's and, like the antichrist. He is. Yeah. He was, <laughs> I was crazy. in, I was in the hospital holding Toby, uh, the day that Chris Weber blew out his knee. Ugh. Um, so like fast forward three years and the team is gone. Right. So he's lived almost 16 years without seeing anything from three on. He hasn't seen anything. My 14 year old would be 15 in August. He's never seen any good basketball at all. And the problem and the now next is closest team, by the way, was like the modern Chicago Bulls. So I think it's easy for people to gravitate towards the Warriors in that time. Well, and that's the problem that you have. It's that while the Kings have been, you know, for they've been horrible, the Warriors have been outstanding. And so they're pulling, pulling fans all the time. They're giving them alternative. And you could even make the argument that, you know, Steph, Clay, Draymond, that they're on their way down and they might only have two or three years left. But you could even make the argument that the Warriors with their young core might even be in a better position than the Kings are as far as youth and about growing a team going forward. You know, they still have James Wiseman. They still have Moody. They still have uh, Kaminga. Kaminga, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so they might even be ahead of the Kings in, in a secondary build that, you know, that will take them for another five years or ten years. So with a with a stable organization. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. You know, I get it. I mean and that's the tough part because you're you're constantly compared to the, the guys right down the street. And it's tough. But to that point, you know, all it takes as Brendan as Brendan said, all it takes is a spark. You land your star and you know, your nineteen year old well, now there's some other 19-year-old. Now there's some other 12-year-old who's watching Bob Hillbilly Posner. I don't know what his name is. Um, <laughs> just he's he's come out of nowhere, and now he's a lottery pick, and he lands in Sacramento, and he's the new hope for whatever. It's just it's 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 some 12-year-old will see that person. I hope, and that'll be the I new Jason so. Williams, and here we go. But you when know. you have a 16-year gap and, you know, know, maybe maybe you can take, like, the la- the first four years of it and kind of crumple up. But when you start going through relocation attempts and you start going through all these things, you literally are losing generations of fans. Like, groups, eight-year groups of fans. And it's just so hard to get it back. And, and again, lowest, lowest attendance in the league at, like, 14,000. And all three of us can attest to you, uh, there was maybe – two games the entire season where there's actually 14,000 people there. Those numbers, uh, like... Well, they... and, and, and that that organization feels that hit much more than any of us who sit there comfortably covering a team that sucks and looking around going, oh my god, there's nobody here. <laughs> Bring back the cardboard cutouts, please. <laughs> cardboard cutouts on aisle. I didn't think this would every be the, aisle. Uh, I didn't think this would be the podcast where I'd be defending both Mark Jackson and Vivek Ranadive <laughs> when I famously said I wouldn't hire him. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> Sean has got a, a, a thousand cuts right now. He, he's fighting it. Uh, I, I think an interesting example, actually, that I hadn't pieced together until right now is that, like, growing up, um, my dad was a crazy Warriors fan and just watched him scream at the TV day in and day out at how crappy that team was and I um, like just chose to not follow that team because it looked miserable like 
they were horrible. The Warriors were a joke. The Warriors, like, to an extent, what the Kings are right now. Right. Um, and I, for the sake of my own health, probably, was like, I'm not going to follow this team. They're just constantly bad. There's no reason to. I had my 19-year-old ask me straight up, do I have to keep being a Kings fan? And it was like, oh. What was your response? Yes, what the hell? Well, yeah, it was yes. <laughs> but then he said, do I, do I have to still be an A's fan? And I said, well, if they leave, no. Um, but even still at this point, like we, we can start exploring. You know, he's already chosen like he might want to be a Padres fan. Um, just because he's done. He's, he's done watching chaos and bad things happen to his sports teams all the time. It's hard. I mean, sports is supposed to be an escape, and that's not what this has turned into. You know, I it, like when we had Scott Moak on the happy hour, he talked about some of the, like, you have to remember that every game there's like 300 children that are there that have never been to a game before. And so every night you got to put on a show. Yep. Even if the basketball isn't good, you got to put on a show. And I think the Kings do such a good job of that. But, like, there has to be some sort of substance at some point. Or you're going to lose people, people who would have no other reason to think that way. Like there, there's only one reason why my son thinks that way. It's because he's never seen anything good. He's never seen the the hypothesis that winning cures all. Ah, he doesn't know what that means. Like <laughs> he he knows that what's you know, winning. Dad, what is what's winning? winning? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, even the Oakland A's can get out of their way and make it to the playoffs, right? Like, that's, I mean, and they're just cheap. But they let the baseball people do baseball things, and that's why they're always in it. And that's why the Kings are not in it, at least for the last nine years. Basketball people don't get to do basketball things. And I think that, I mean, people can challenge me on that, but I'll just tell you, basketball people, like, the reason why you didn't draft, let's say, Damian Lillard, is because there was concern within the organization that the Maloofs wouldn't give Jeff Petrie enough money to retain Jason Thompson as a free agent, so he thought he had no power forward going into the offseason. So he chose Thomas Robinson. That basketball decision right there, that's not a basketball decision. That's Oops. a, yeah. I mean, that's bad. So, um, all right, so we talked about this a little bit. Me and Brendan talked about this a little bit, I, I think. Um I had this weird experience where I was sitting at a coffee shop in in the Doco the other day, and I look out the window and I see Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox uh, sitting there waiting. I think they're waiting for Mark Jackson to show up. Uh, while I'm sitting there, I watch DeMarcus Cousins walk by the window. I'm like, what in the world? Um, I leave that meeting. I go to see if I can find DeMarcus. I pass Wes again. I wave at Wes. He's on the phone. I see Leo Bias uh, from Cowbell Kingdom who yells my name, and I wave it. And he points me in the direction of where DeMarcus went. Uh, I go in. I see DeMarcus' cousin standing in line at Starbucks. You know, we have a conversation, quick conversation. Give him a hug. Uh, you know, like good catching up for a few minutes. Uh, Sean, you went and had a uh, a much longer conversation with DeMarcus um, where you made him uncomfortable, right? Like I, I was sitting there like wondering if he was going to have a, a scone or – you know, if he's he's watching his weight or whatever. But, you know, you were more of the um, – you got some, some answers. Yeah, just, I, I need some answers from you. I'm picturing Cuz eating a scone 
That's just that would be hilarious. He could uh, get crumbs on on many people because he's so tall. Yeah, man. So we were in Vallejo uh, at Six Flags. They closed down the park, brought in a lot of kids from Vallejo Unified School District, and it was a youth empowerment summit. And it was put on by Kaiser Permanente. And this was wild, man. Like you have a good amount of kids. I mean, there's probably a thousand kids um, that you have at this park. And all they're waiting for is just for that end of school day for the last two hours or so where they get to go and ride all the roller coasters for, you know, for free. And the reality is there's a lot of these kids who grow up right down the street and they can see the roller coasters. And this is the first time they've ever stepped foot in the park. So that's like, when you think about that, that's like, that's, that's harsh. That's pretty tough. So um, we get there, and yeah, my, my focus, I didn't really know a whole lot going in uh, to what to expect. I felt like we would get there and get to figure it out. But uh, yeah, being over at Channel 40, me and Chris Tavares went down, and I kind he's asking me, he's like, so what are we doing? I kind of like, I was like, all he knew was we were going to interview DeMarcus. But I'll, I did know he was going to be part of this Q&A where he would talk to kids, but it was going to be first led by an interview that Cedric the Entertainer, who was like the moderator of this whole event. Like, again, this went on for hours. And we're getting there towards the latter part of the of the morning, right around lunchtime. And Cedric sets up and does this Q&A and interviews DeMarcus on stage before they start taking questions from, from the kids. Um, and, you know, you talk about a whole new generation. I guess there's a guy on YouTube that, DeMarcus was familiar. I was not. And that goes by DeMarcus Cousins the Third, and looks just like him. Brendan probably watches it, subscribes to his YouTube channel. So I don't, Never I don't know it. if that's, but stuff like that. And, you know, you have a lot of people who know that his season, because all these, you're talking to a lot of Warrior fans there. And his season just came to an end as a member of the, of the Nuggets the week before. So here are some great questions. But earlier in their day, just to give, paint you a picture, Barry Bonds comes out and talks to kids and as he and i wasn't there for that i saw the video and he comes out he's like, i don't do this i've, I've never really it's the first time i've ever done like a, a a type a speech like this to to children jerry rice was there at one point brian shaw um several others beyonce's dad matthew knowles was there i know that kind of i mean i'm just spouting off at this point dougie fresh that was in that was another one that was kind of a a rapper who was who just kind of blew my mind but Anyway, they just bring them in. It's just like one after another. These little these little discussion forums and some are videos, and so it was very cool setup. So that was the hook. Now, obviously, before the Nuggets season came to an end, Demarcus was quoted in uh, Mark Spears' column with ESPN and uh, talked about his time in Sacramento, kind of his journey and being back with Michael Malone and all that, all that. But I don't think you can really talk to him without seeing not only the the stuff he's gone through. In, from injuries, having to change his game, maybe being out of the league, 10-day contract he had with the Milwaukee Bucks, thought he'd probably be there for a little while. Several 10-day contracts, by the way. And then it didn't work, and Denver picked him up, so he's bounced around. And he had to talk about his time with the Kings, and he looked back on his time with the Kings and some of the things that had gone through, and obviously it was very, very rocky, but he said some stuff like, I regret ever taking the draft workout in Sacramento, which essentially says I regret being a king. Knowing in hindsight what happened with the team and the organization and the chaos that surrounded that, he was as much a part of it as, as anything I would add. But that also took him away. You know, he, We also know how he famously feels about the city. So I knew that we would 
have to he would want to draw a line of distinction between the organization and the city and uh, I wanted to give him the opportunity to talk about it and defend himself and I'd have to push back a little bit so that's the part I wanted to share I know there's some other stuff in there regarding you know if you find the full interview you can find it at fox40.com uh, or even on the Fox 40 YouTube page or there's a link to it on my Twitter if you scroll far enough down but you can find the full interview we go about 12 15 minutes something like that um, there's a great part about him being scared to he would never do a roller coaster in his life so that was kind of fun but I think most people would like to uh, probably hear the inf- the chat we had about uh, what he said about the Kings. All right, let's hit it. Uh, Sean Cunningham went to Marcus Cousins. I mean, I said what I said. Um, I stand on that. But, uh, you know, I got a lot of love for the city, a lot of fans in the city. Um, I, I got people in the sack that I consider family. Um, I'm grateful for everything I've experienced in my life and my career. Uh, it's helped me become a better person. It's, it's helped mold me into a better man. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for every experience, good or bad. We all grow. Can you ever see yourself growing away from some of the feelings that you may have had towards the organization? Um, I wouldn't even say it's feelings. It's, I, it's, it's facts for me. Like, I mean, I look back on it, and I, and I can truly say that. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not holding a grudge against anybody or mad at anybody in particular. Um, it's a moment in time that happened. We've moved past it. Everybody's grown from it, but the facts are the facts. Right. You said something interesting too, which was because I know what you feel about Sacramento. I know how that important that community is. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't help but wonder when you said that you would have regretted showing up for your draft workout that day. I was specifically speaking on the organization. Hundred percent. Yeah. This has nothing to do with the city. Has nothing to do with the fans. Right. Nothing like anything to do with relationships. It has nothing to do with that. Speaking from the organizational standpoint, that's how I feel and I stand on it. Right. But to that point, though, right, mm-hmm. had you never, you may never experience what you did in Sacramento. You know what I mean? Like, so is it kind of that? I mean, it is what it is. Like, right. all of it is hypothetically speaking. For sure. Like, it is what it is. But from an organizational standpoint, I, I'm speaking on facts. Yeah. It's compartmentalized. It's, yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. It is what it is. But without one, you know, you don't have to. I mean, right. yeah, and we can go on and on about right, right, it, right. but speaking from that standpoint, that's how I feel about it. 100%. Mm-hmm. My thing is, if they ever did retire your jersey, what would that mean to you? Would you it even? It would be incredible. Yeah. I would, I'd be extremely grateful. Like, it would be an incredible feeling forever, forever in debt. But, you know, when I was saying those things, I meant no disrespect and harm towards the, the other legends that have, that have played the game in front of me and, and paved the way. So. Yeah. That's good stuff, Sean. <laughs> I thought thought we were going to go to go somewhere. I mean, I had to push back. And um, the, the interesting part is I, I still don't, you know, again, it is a hypothetical. And I'm glad he said that because um, the reality is you can't change your history. And that's why I'm saying like, Hey, this love you have for this community, I know what it means to you. And I know, you know, you've got essentially family here. So would you piss that all away just to say, Hey, I'd rather wish I had gone to Oklahoma city at that point. You know, no, there's no guarantees in life. You still, as George, George Carl famously said, and I know he'll probably cringe at hearing that is, yeah, they paid you a lot of money. Yeah. You, I mean, he's, you have to understand as a star athlete, you have the utmost confidence in your ability. I have no problem with him thinking that he was better than Chris Weber or, or Mitch Richmond as a member of the Kings. And I fully believe 
if I was an athlete, you have to think that way. You like, you have to have that mentality. It's it's no disrespect to those guys. And he talks about it. Like he says, he loved Chris Weber. He's a huge Chris Weber fan coming into, um, you know, as he, as he grew up, it's not to disparage what they did, but the facts are, I even told him in the interview, I said, whatever you feel, I get it. I said, objectively, you're the top. You're in the top three. The three faces of the Kings franchise in the Sacramento era are Mitch Richmond, Chris Weber, and DeMarcus Cousins. I don't care how you rank them. That's probably how I would personally rank them. It doesn't matter. And I we got into a discussion about it before about retiring jerseys. So I went to the retiring jersey part portion of that because in the article with Mark he talked about you know he you know they having a jersey retirement and all that. I agree with that. that's where we 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 spoke about that. I agree with him because he's one of the three most decorated kings in the Sacramento era. It's probably the reality of it. That's kind of a sad state of affairs, but at least the other two are hall of famers. DeMarcus, I don't know. I I don't think he'll be a hall of famer. Probably won't be a hall of famer. There might be some that would disagree with that, but it doesn't matter. Like his port, his point to Vladi Divac, who got a hall of famer, not on merit, but because he was part of the international committee. That's how he became a hall of famer. That's likely going to be the same for Peja Stojakovic. They have their jerseys uh, in the rafters as well. They did get in on merit, just on a different merit. It's a different, yes, but it's not yeah, the yeah, merit yeah. that Mitch Richmond and Chris Weber got in on. It's no, not the, well, it's not the NBA merit, but still, I mean. Well, in college, inter- don't forget college. Like, I'm talking yeah. about it took the international committee to get them in. Yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. not the you are a Naismith Hall of Fame finalist and now a Naismith Hall of Fame basketball player yeah. um, enshrined in, in in Springfield. So there is a difference, and I'm just pointing that out because it's not the same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no question that DeMarcus Cousins was a better NBA player than Vlade Divac, but there's also absolutely no question that Vlade Divac has meant so much more to the game of basketball than DeMarcus Cousins ever Oh, yeah, ever, and that's, ever and that's not the— that is not, yeah. and that's not the, but I understand what he's saying, especially considering, again, it's not just NBA, college, yeah. uh, you know, USA basketball, you know, inter, inter, international, yeah. all that stuff. So we get it. But um, I get what he's saying. And I've always said, look, there's only six all stars in Sacramento Kings history. That's it. Yeah. Six. Six. So <laughs> I guess that's, that's just not good. Let so, me see if I can name them quickly. We've got Mitch, mm-hmm. Weber, Peja. Demarcus, Brad Miller. Oh, I'm missing one. Can I give it to you? Um, yeah. Vlade Divac. Oh, Vlade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, Vlade so, did. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Uh, regardless. Now, I wanted to draw that parallel because I think people think he has, as he pointed out, he says there's no, there's no animosity towards the organization. There's hard feelings in the sense of what happened. In terms yeah. of what he went through as a team, look, my whole thing is I don't think he tries to. I think a lot of times, I don't know why he wants to paint himself as a victim. I know that you can look back, maybe not feel like a victim, but still have tough feelings about what happened within the organization and your history, and you and that can fester, right? But I also feel, and again, a lot of these things he's responsible for himself, and I would point that out to him. You don't need to point. You don't need to play a victim. Drawing the distinction is clear. But at the other hand, I also see him like, hey, if they did retire your jersey, 
I think there are people who think, oh, he wants nothing to do with that organization ever again. Just blah, blah, blah. Him saying it'd be a great honor, I mean, he would celebrate the fact that he got... I could see him being at center court, whatever, being celebrated that day if, if that was to happen. I could also see him, by the way, James, like, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if let's just say him as an NBA free agent, and let's say the Sacramento Kings, for whatever reason, kick the tires on him, right? DeMarcus Cousins isn't going to go, absolutely not, I'm not coming back to Sacramento. I know that's a fantasy world, but we're just saying for the sake of argument... If the organization showed the the hey we wanted to sign him do whatever like Cuz is gonna be there like he's he's not gonna say oh I can't go there it's not like it's it's that way but I think certain people would kind of hear these comments and and think that way at the end of the day he will celebrate his time in Sacramento despite the fact that it didn't go well and I think he tries to blame a lot of things as we've been doing through the course of this conversation James coaching firing a lot of the stuff the coaching the the chaos that surrounded him the, all the coaches that he had you know it's it's crazy and again he's a big part of why that was but s- circumstances are circumstances and he'll have his story there's also the facts the organization will have their story it, i just feel like the stuff that he's been through is stuff that um gets looked at and saying well because of this I'm going to hate the organization the rest of my life. And I don't think that's the case that he was trying to say. And I think it's another example of the importance of turning everything around with the Kings. Like players talk to other players, obviously. And if you're going to another player that spent a large majority of time with the Sacramento organization, and maybe they're not saying great things when you're deciding, should I sign with the Kings or, or look elsewhere? Um, you know, who knows how, Cousins kind of communicates with other players when it comes to his feelings, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't be the most surprised if he didn't paint going to Sacramento in in the best way. And I think that as the Kings continue to not win and not surround their high level players with a and put them in scenarios where they can actually win games, there's just going to be more and more people that kind of advise other players in the league maybe go somewhere else if you have another chance. Um, so I think it's just another example of the importance of turning this around. And nobody's going to shake the image of him crying on his way out of Sacramento, much like Chris Weber, much like Doug Christie, anybody who had been traded. It's weird. There's guys that don't want to come to Sacramento. They get here and then they're crying on the way out of Sacramento. It's it's bizarre, man. I, I don't I, – I, it's one of those unique situations that Sacramento is. So Yeah, and I'll say this too. Like, um, like first of all, DeMarcus Cousins isn't walking through that door. No, like, no, uh, no. He, he's not. He, no. I, like, I know that for sure. He's not walking through that door as a member of the Sacramento Kings. And while it's owned by this ownership group, I can almost guarantee you that there will not be a, a jersey retirement ceremony for him. Um, but I also want to make sure that people understand that this was a perfect storm of a an immature and slightly troubled young player coming to a disaster of a franchise and the lowest of the low point of the franchise when they're literally trying to relocate the team in 2010, 2011 to Anaheim in 2013, they try again to relocate the team to Seattle. Uh, Ownership was completely like, like vanished and left people like, Paul Westfall and DeMarcus Cousins to answer questions about, you know, whether the team would stay, what, what's going to happen next? Well, if you do move, do you plan on staying with the team? Like all of these things happened 
And so it was a perfect storm of, again, a 19-year-old kid coming into the league into a horrible, chaos, chaotic situation that, like, very few players would have been able to recover from. And, uh, you know, he stuck it out for six and a half years. It didn't work out. Um, whatever happened with why he did not eventually get his extension, like, we can let them debate that all we want. I know what I was told at the time from the franchise, but um, that has cost him... I don't even want to... The figure is probably, at the end of the day, it probably cost him $200 million not getting his extension. It's that big. And that's just on the one deal. Like, just just the rookie-scale extension that he would have signed, he would be making, like, close to $50 million. Whatever John Wall is making, $46 million, it's the same contract. DeMarcus Cousins signed 10-day contracts this year in the league and did not have a contract at the beginning of the season. He probably made a couple hundred thousand dollars this year. Maybe he made close to a million, but, well, he probably made really close to a million, but not that much more than that. And we're talking about a guy who should have been making, like, an additional $45 million this year if it weren't for the fact that the Kings pulled his extension and traded him to the Pelicans. So just on that alone, there's going to be some sort of like, uh, you know, uncomfortableness between the two sides, uh, just the financial side, but even like it was a bad situation yeah, and it is. six and, coaches in six years in in seven years. Yeah. It was a bad situation all around. And, and you just reminded me, John Wall hasn't played in like two years as a result of the money he makes. It's, it's wild. And is it not wild? He hasn't played because of the money he makes. Right. Not because he's, he's totally washed up as a player. He could probably still play probably still help teams but he's not playing right now because of the money that he makes and the fact that they can't he's on a team that's gone young and they they can't do anything about his contract it's bizarre but uh yeah i mean cousins would have limped through that contract most likely uh, we never know would the injury have happened all those things you just right. never know and he had um, an amazing year that the, the year and a half that he was in new orleans he was fantastic yeah him yeah. and ad i mean they showed that two big men can play together yeah no, it, it's interesting. It, it's you know, hindsight is is always twenty twenty, and I know that Cousins has uh, his way of looking back at it, and you know, isn't taking full accountability. And I think that's you know, like I, I can be harsh on Demarcus. We've had plenty of discussions on on the podcast where I've told stories about Demarcus, and people might think that like I hate him, and I don't. Like he's a, one of the most interesting people I've ever met. I actually have a lot of love for the guy. Like I I enjoy having conversations with him. Uh, even when he was here, I enjoyed having conversations. But you can't ignore all of the things that we saw while he was here and all the stories that we know from when he was here. And so it, it is probably the most interesting dynamic of any player slash personality that I've had during my career where the the person and all of the things that go with him are like so incredibly hard to like put in some sort of sequence or some sort of you know, value calculator where you're like, okay. oh, you're, you're constantly amused, you know, one way or the other. I mean, there can be an exhaustion that comes with it, but there's the three most enigmatic players that I've covered with the Kings are Chris Weber, Ron Artest, and DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah. And, and Rondo, you get the Rondo in there, but it's only one year. It was only one year. Yeah. And he, that was a, it took a while to try to like feel him out a bit, you know. He's the most interesting player I've ever covered. Like, yeah. Yeah. He just was always watching. I was like, yeah, he was an interesting cat. <laughs> Brandon, you got something? 
I was no, it was fun to hear your Rondo stories, a couple of them, because that was my favorite player growing up by far. Um, so it's just interesting to all these different stories and like Boogie from the outside looking in because I didn't grow up around the Kings. So um, just kind of everything that I've heard being around you guys and other people involved with the organization, like it's interesting how much, you know, I, I don't think he was put in the best positions to succeed often. I think there's a lot of things that the Kings could have done better, but also plenty of stories of maybe Boogie not doing himself any favors and making things hard on himself. So interesting he did, he did that routinely for six and a half years he made life about as hard on himself as he could i also and, disagree a little bit like i think that time has a funny way of kind of healing all and if this ownership group remains it's fine i do think he'll he'll i mean it's, it'd be a glaring omission i feel unless you get some solid contribute you just look at just his numbers alone in the time he was with sacramento and he's still in your record books like he's it's it's his name everywhere and i'm not trying again like i whether they do or not i don't really give a damn but like he makes the most sense presently we get down farther along i mean there's not that many sacramento again sacramento era it's 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 you could make it an argument that he that i it, look what vladi and peja meant i guess that's fine but like nobody else should have their number retired presently and if there's, there's the only one that i ever call to the most is it just selfishly and i don't think it'll happen would be wayman tisdale i know what wayman tisdale meant to that era of basketball you know the mike bibby thing is ridiculous um i know you know jason thompson who's the longest tenured king that, that, that wouldn't happen so yeah i just don't see a guy up there presently that would that would be in the conversation anyway well we i think the one thing we have to do is we have to give De'Aaron fox the next four years and see what happens Mm-hmm. Like let him play through his prime, uh, and if he makes it to, um, if he makes it four years, three, I think it's probably three and a half, four years, he would surpass Jason Thompson. I mean, he's under contract, that's why I bring it up. He's right. he would surpass Jason Thompson as the uh, with the most games played in Kings history. He'd also like by the time it's all said and done, he'll have the record for most assists. He'll have uh, likely the record for most points scored um, if he if he lasts his whole contract. So. Uh, yeah, we'll have to kind of wait and see how it all plays out with when it comes to to Foxy. Um, all right, so let, let's wrap this up with uh, with the the big question. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll start with Brendan. Brendan, um, we have until like we have it's going to happen between now and probably Monday, but probably even sooner than that. Um, who do you think is the new head coach of the Sacramento Kings uh, when it's announced? I'm going with Mike Brown. Um, I think that makes more sense in my mind from a basketball standpoint, but also the optics would be pretty rough if if the decision was Mark Jackson. And maybe there's an aspect of me trying to talk this into uh, talk this into existence. But I'm going with Mike Brown. Where you at, Sean? Same. Yeah, I think Mike Brown makes the most sense. Uh, you can call it the safe play if you choose, but I feel like it's the safe play your organization should make. And, and it's not like Mike Brown. I mean, again, this guy brings in a wealth of experience. Um, I don't. The funny part is, no matter which coach you bring in, both will want to do things and be left the hell alone. <laughs> um, 
And I think you can, I mean, I don't, I almost, even as OCD as, as Mike Brown is, and I, I, if that comes to be, I told you guys, I want to see if he like closes the door three times and certain things that OCD people are known for. Um, I'm curious to see how that looks. And I don't know who would be the one that would be the more bombastic of leave my team alone. Let me do my thing. So um, I think that's something that the organization is definitely having to factor in and may not even realize that, that because uh, I think either one of them would be an elite candidate in the sense of in, in the leave my team alone category. The team is mine. So um Hall of Famer, if you will, because I don't know many more that would be like, yes, yes, please come in. Tell me all your thoughts on everything. No, no, I think they want to be left alone to coach their team. Um, But I do believe that it would be, uh, I I think it would be Mike Brown. It would make the most sense from a basketball standpoint, experience, uh, no smoke. I mean, what's the, and he's coached superstars. He's coached big men. He's malleable. He can adjust his uh philosophies based on what's out there he's in the popovich tree i can't i mean i know there's a lot of people that says he doesn't win without lebron okay that's fine but he's been right there with winning organizations on the bench so um yeah that that part does not bother me i mean rick adelman famously you know i know he was he, he did the 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 portland thing and then was considered to be this like burnout away you know when he when when he left the Warriors, the dude was going to go to Portland, uh, Portland State, before he came to Sacramento, um, and then that turned out well. So I don't believe in retread the the term retread and people who go re- retread to me just means you're a respected coach who has a ton of experience, and retread doesn't mean you didn't have success. Retread is defined by saying, oh, this guy's been through it before and has you know, been in organizations and, you know, like Alvin Gentry is a retread, you know, at a certain point you become a retread if you've been on two or three different teams, I guess. So, um, to me, that's just all experience that comes into it. So. Yeah. I'm going to go Mike Brown as well. Um, I hate that we all agree. I think that there's a consensus here. Yes. Um, that I think it's a Mike Brown should be the guy. Like you might not like the original seven, you might not like the three that it got pared down to, but at the end of the day, there really aren't a lot of candidates out there that if you compare their stats with Mike Brown's that are going to be better. And I mean, he really has had a lot of success. And even when he, he did fail, he didn't go away. He, he went and won two championship rings with the Golden State Warriors and worked on an offensive geniuses staff and in Steve Kerr. And continued his his education. So, I mean, I think he's the right guy for the job. Um, and I also think that if if it's Mike Brown, then it's time to once again pair up your your general manager uh, contracts with your head coach. Let these guys have a shot to succeed, and let them have a shot to build this thing the right way, and uh, and you know lock these guys up and, and give them a shot to to find success and, and pull you out of this 16 year funk. And it may not be next season, but you know, let's, let's look at something that can be built upon. Um, let's not start at square one and, and, and see how, you know, it goes. Let's, I think this is a good moment for the Kings. Uh, it could be a disastrous moment, but let's, let's hope that they, that this is one of those moments where they get something right and they, they move the right way and, and, you know, and prove that they can, they can get out of their own way because that's what this kind of feels like. Like well, there's the, an e- 
there's an easy choice here. Yeah, and I, the the thing that gives me the most pause is, oh my gosh, when they were seven, I said they should hire Mike Brown of the seven. So that means they probably shouldn't go Mike Brown. They should probably go with Mark Jackson. So <laughs> that might be that might be tough. Yeah, he he's always look. He's the guy right in the middle. Like you had older coaches, you had younger coaches, you had some experience guys with more experience, some guys with less experience. He's the guy in the middle. He's fifty two years old. He could coach this team for another. 20 years if it worked out and so i I, he's a guy that i would i would bank on finding success uh, above the rest of the guys that have been in this in this race so all right um that's going to do it for this edition of the king's beat podcast um do you guys have any final thoughts i probably uh just being a rookie was really thinking it was time to drive dive into draft stuff and you know theorized trades and things like this and what a week and a half two weeks man i my draft coverage has not been progressing in the way that i thought it would very busy times with this coaching did, surge so did Rasan pull, pull you aside did Rasan pull you aside and said hey that's not the time for this conversation <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> sean you got any final thoughts yeah, why are roller coasters like all named like "Kiss Your Ass Goodbye Ride" or "You're gonna," you know, like it's got like some. We were having like Medusa. That's one of the, the ones demon. That, yeah, yeah the, like it's all these frightening <laughs> names because obviously gonna carry you to hell. Yes, yeah, like I, I want, yeah. I want one that's gonna be like, hey, this is gonna be fun, but not so bad. It might get scary. Like I don't know how you, like, there's one called Batman. They're the Batman ride. I have not been on it. I saw it. It's not like the most big ride, but it turns your body in every way possible and it's i would imagine it gives you probably the most um experience of being in a ch- tied to a chair and shoved out of an airplane <laughs> and just That's, because your of the feet way are dangling right i, I mean I've, you move yeah. every way which way possible and it doesn't yeah. last that long but i remember looking at that going nope and i think a lot of the other ones like i'm just looking at these names like there's one that looked like it was literally made of wood instead of like steel. And I know you're like into engineering and all that. I, I, I look, I love roller coasters. I've done that. It does not sound like it, Sean. No, I do. <laughs> like, why do they have like the most terrorizing names to make it like over the top scary? You know, like they should be fun. Say, oh, this is Top Gun. I remember this one of them someplace had like a Top Gun ride. That was cool. It's great America. Yeah, they should. They should have the uh, the oops, I blanked my pants. Yes, yeah, that that, that would have been. That's Batman. Yeah, that would be the Batman one. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, awesome! Yeah. Uh, Hey, uh, I also want to. uh, I want to get a a shout out to um, to Chris Tavares who uh, went down with you, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and. Got to get the full Sean Cunningham, this is why we do this experience. Um, that's such a good thing. I- I'm glad that, like, the Fox 40 guys have, have like, the uh, the veteran hand leading him through this where it's like, hey, we can get some incredible content on, like, a Wednesday in May, which, you know, <laughs> a lot of other people are like, what are we going to do? It's Wednesday. It's May. There's nothing going on outside of NBA basketball and, and uh, NBA playoffs that the Kings aren't involved in. So Yeah, I got yeah. to this point. I was like, is this shut off to media? Why is there no other media here? There was, I mean, again, Barry Bonds, Jerry Rice talking to kids. Like, Did Barry Bonds say don't do drugs? Don't I haven't do drugs, listened to, you know, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but probably. <laughs> 
Hey man, clearing the cream. When you listen did, to your did, trainer, did he put some did he put some sunscreen on while you're while he's sitting there like? <laughs> no, but I did, and I got kind of like, some color. Uh, awesome. These pasty arms. That's awesome. Um, all right, so again, uh, thanks for tuning in to the King's Beat podcast. Make sure to again go down below, uh, give us a thumbs up, uh, give us a subscription, jump on board with the King's Beat, um, and uh, I, I think the. You can get all this stuff down below in the description on YouTube and all that stuff. Um, we're growing like crazy. We're having a good time here. Uh, we're going to keep going all summer long. And, like, there's so much content right now. It's it's wild. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying what we're bringing to the table. And uh, this thing should wrap up really quickly. It feels that way. We're hearing that from the outside, from the inside. Um, so the Sacramento Kings should have a head coach. And, we can move on to Brendan's draft coverage, uh, maybe even as early as next week sometime. So uh, for um, Brendan Nunez from the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse podcast, and of course, Sean Cunningham from uh, Fox 40, I'm James Hammy, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. We'll see you on Tuesday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.